If you've ever played or coached in a league that ends in a tournament or a playoff, did you ever think of this? You play hard for the regular season to get to that playoff status or that tournament status. And you celebrate when you realize that you've made it into the dance. But in the midst of the celebration, you rarely consider this, that the odds are that now your season is probably going to end with a loss. And all that celebration, when you realize you made it into the dance, dissipates in, into the mist of what could have been and shattered dreams. But on this episode of your parent-teacher conference, I'm not talking about how to deal with disappointment among your players or sons and daughters. I will be talking about the exact opposite. What happens when your tournament run ends with a win? Teachers, are your digital assignments getting lost in the black hole of a digital folder? Can I suggest a solution? Fan School. FanSchool is a safe and social learning network where students own and share their learning. Think of FanSchool as a digital bulletin board for your students' work. Take a look. Go to fan.school today. That is fan.school. And imagine what your classroom space will look like on FanSchool. parent-teacher conference, where a 24-7 parent and full-time teacher discusses issues and concerns from both points of view in an attempt to bridge the gap for the sake of kids. So relax, grab a coffee or other comfort drink, and let's talk about it. Hello and welcome to your parent-teacher conference. This is Coach Cullen, your host. And this podcast series focuses on issues dealing with parents, teachers, and usually both. And today we are going to be discussing finding success on the playing field. As always, if you have any questions, comments, or concerns, topics for future podcasts, just like to get into discussion with me, please feel free to email me at ptcpodcast411 at gmail.com. That's P as in parent, T as in teacher, C as in conference, podcast, ptcpodcast411, all one word, ptcpodcast411 at gmail.com. And you hear me saying that over and over again because I really do enjoy opening up listener email. A few episodes ago, I did an interview with a former member of the Board of Education in my town, and I really enjoyed doing that. If you have anyone that you think I should reach out to an interview that is a parent, educator, athlete, board member, someone just interesting to talk to, or even if it's you, I don't mind, give yourself a shout out and say, hey, why don't you interview me on this topic? I'm an expert on it, or I know some things about it. You don't have to be an expert. Just If you're a parent, you're an expert, right? So just, again, reach out to me at ptcpodcast411 at gmail.com. Also, if you like the episode, please feel free to share this out with your friends. You can, there's a, usually a little box with an hour pointing up. You can click on that. It'll say copy link. You can text it out and say, hey, listen to this episode about championships. Or go back to my older podcast. You can see the old episodes. And if you find something there you think is of interest to a friend of yours or a family member, share it out. Of course, you can always share this on Facebook, tweet it out on Facebook. Some of you may have found this on Facebook or Twitter. And it'd be really great to grow the community of listeners for the Parent Teacher Conference podcast. Just tell your friends if you want them just to go, hey, just go to the Parent Teacher Conference podcast. There are several. Just remind them that you'll see this ugly guy. Well, you won't know it's he's ugly. It's me because my face is co covered with a coffee cup. So you'll see a hat. You'll see a guy's eyes. You'll see a coffee mug. That is 
the parent-teacher conference podcast you want your friends to listen to. And you can call me ugly. I've lived with this condition for over 50 years, so I'm good. You know, sitting down and preparing for this episode, what I usually do is I run through my head what I would like to talk about for the week. And I had several other topics in mind, but something happened on Thursday that really shook my world. The team I coach at the middle school where I teach, the boys' soccer team, won the county championship for our group. We're group three. It's split up into four groups, four of the bigger schools. We're the next biggest, and it goes down to group one, which are the smallest schools. So that way, it doesn't give a large school with thousands of students in the middle school an unfair advantage over a middle school that may have less than 100. And I'm not speaking to this just because we won a championship. I've won several championships in soccer and in baseball. So I've, I've been there before. I've been to the celebration. But this one was different, very different. The game was different. And as I was thinking, as I was finalizing what topic I will talk about this week, I realized I needed to honor the boys that I coached this year. Because as you hear how we won the championship, just the championship game itself, I think you are going to be impressed with these boys as much as I am. And I can honestly say that for one game, I've been proud of boys I coached throughout the years, and now I coach I'm an assistant coach for softball. I've been proud of girls and how they've stepped up and performed throughout the years. But collectively as a team, I don't know if any team ever that I've coached for one game did what these boys did. So hopefully I built some anticipation up there and you're going to continue listening to this episode to find out why I'm making such a big deal about this team. First, the background of the team. In the fall of 2019, I had a soccer team. We had some a, a few good, really good eighth graders, but the bulk of the team was this seventh grade group. They all played together on the same team, and again, they're just a seventh grader. It's like a step, little like a one step behind. We upset one town in the county tournament in the first round. Then we played in the semifinals where we lost. But I remember talking to my assistant coach, saying, "You know what? Next year." This is going to be a really good team. I mean, they they made it to the semis this year. We're, we're losing some great eighth graders. But I think that with the seventh graders we have, and I'm sure some sixth graders will fill in some of the gaps, we should make a serious run at the title. And then COVID hit. And I never had the opportunity to coach another season with those boys. And they were great kids. It didn't just disappoint me because we could have put up a championship banner, but like I said earlier, even getting into the dance, the odds are greater that your season will end with a loss. It was that these were really good kids. For example, it, this is one of the neatest things. I coached my younger daughter, my youngest daughter's rec soccer team. And we had one practice a week. They gave us like a um, paid trainer from one of these big soccer clubs. He was a great guy. He was, a, um, he was Irish and he immigrated to the United States. And he was young. He was like, like early 20s. And we got along really well when I told him I, I, I coach soccer. So, you know, he's like, you know, typically the guys they give me are just fathers who are volunteering. So thank you. So he could, you know, he was, he felt really, it was good. He would just say, hey. Kev, why don't you go over there and work on this with the girls? You know, he and he just could tell me what to do, and he knew that was going to be done. So as I'm on the field, on one section of this huge turf field in our town, on the other soccer field that's connected to it is this group of middle school boys who play on the travel team for the club where the guy who runs my practices um, works for. And about four of those boys that I was just talking about, these seventh graders, were on that team. And the first day, I'm standing there, and they, they're doing laps around the whole turf field. And all of a sudden I hear, hey, Mr. Cullen, 
Mr. Colin! I mean, they were so excited. And every week when they had to do their lap, they would stop and talk to me. Like the third week, they would say, we can't stop. Our coach yelled at us last week. We had to do more laps at the end of practice when you left because he was afraid we were going to talk to you again. And these are the type of kids that, you know, I just enjoyed them. Obviously, they enjoyed me as their coach. And I never had the opportunity to coach any of them again. Didn't really get the opportunity to see their faces much anymore because when I saw them in the hallways, they had a mask over their face. And we only, that's a whole other story with COVID. And we only saw them every other day. And, you know, you, you, you lost contact with them very quickly. So we didn't play soccer in the fall of 2020. Fall of 2021, soccer starts up again. Now, my town is a soccer town. I usually, I mean, I will admit, I am not a huge soccer guy. I, baseball is my sport, but I've been coaching soccer for years. My first job in Connecticut, the athletic director was a K through 12 Christian school, and the athletic director told the principal who was you know, hiring me, you know, or at least he was hiring for the social studies position. He told him, "Hey, just make sure you get someone who can coach. We always need coaches." Now, hoping to coach the baseball team, there was already a baseball coach. So I was offered the middle school soccer job. And I played soccer through sophomore year. So I knew something of the sport. So I coached there for seven years. When I moved to New Jersey, I didn't coach there for almost the first decade. They had, um, first couple of years, there wasn't a soccer team. And then a few years in, they created a soccer team. And this, this Scottish gentleman who knew the game well, was the coach. And then when he retired, they turned to me and they said, hey, would you coach boys soccer? So that was 2007. And I've been coaching ever since. We made it to six championships in those years. And I actually have had the honor of coaching a current player in the Major League Soccer League here in the United States. He plays for St. Louis City and his name is Jared Stroud. You know, it's funny, when he was when he was drafted, he was originally drafted by the hometown team, the Red Bulls, out of Cornell. And on Twitter, I blasted something out, like, congratulations, I had lost contact with him, I said, congratulations to Jared Stroud for making the Red Bulls. And he actually responded to the tweet, and he was like, it was all you co taught me, coach. And it was funny, because the reality was, I didn't teach him a thing. I was benefiting for all the work that his travel squad and his own perseverance and practice with his brothers, all his brothers are soccer players. One of his younger brothers, I think, is also on the MLS now. Um, that is really where he got his talent from and, and his love of the game. I just happened to be his middle school coach. I, I was just putting guys on the lineup. And, and all I said was, no, no, I go, you guys came to me with talent. And it was just a pleasure to coach you, your brother, all your teammates. You made it easy. And, and that's really what it is. I, I, I understand the game of soccer. I, I know I've played it through sophomore year in high school. It's a goal sport, you know, a field goal sport, like soccer, lacrosse, hockey, right? Basketball even. These are sports that you have to score a goal in. So there, there are similarities in the games about strategy, defensively, offensively, that you can take from one to the other. That's how I see it. Now, people might say, oh, you're, you're wrong. No, no, I'm right in the bigger sense. Obviously, a play in basketball is going to be run very differently than a play in soccer and a play in hockey. But a lot of them have the same basic concepts about spacing, move, getting getting yourself open into an open lane, defense, closing down those seams, etc. And what I've always said about soccer, what has helped me out as a coach, and again, not as a expert coach who really played the game well himself, is that it's a slower game. Now, before you say, okay, soccer's not slow. They're running up and down the field for like, you know, half hour, like in middle school, it's a half hour, I know, Adult league is 45 minutes. They they are, but think of it this way. Where do you see more speed? On a hockey rink or on a soccer pitch? On a basketball court or a soccer pitch? And that's what I mean. They're, they're, it's the, the game is so wide and 
takes a little more time to develop that it has allowed me to process things better. And I think that's, as a baseball player, that was my sport. And that's where, where, when I coached baseball, I could teach skills because I had used them and learned them myself through all the years of playing right through college. Baseball gives you the time to process. That's why people find it very boring, where I find it very exciting because you can think through the player's head, the batter, the pitcher, the fielders, because you know you've been there. It's a, it's, it's a sport where you get the process before the action begins. And everybody has a different thought process of what's going on in their heads. Soccer is more reactive. and But it'll, but the game allows me to process, take to have that, a little bit of time to process and yell commands out to get those guys in position. But the point of saying all this is just that I am not like the top-notch soccer coach. I'm just really using skills and thoughts that I've picked up from playing soccer and other sports as well and bringing them into the soccer field. Drills and ideas like that, developing big plays, I depend upon the boys to bring it to me. And really, where I see my role is, is getting the talent I have and putting them in the right positions in order for us to have a team on the field that takes advantages of our strengths and strengthening our weaknesses. So back to the team. So in the fall of 21, I have my, after a year absence due to COVID, we have a soccer team at my school again. And all these kids sign up. And I think only one eighth grader was there. About four or five seventh graders. And then the rest, like 20 something sixth graders. And they were tiny. And I'm just thinking, oh gosh, this is going to be a long season. Thankfully, two other 8th graders joined. And I did something for the first time I've never done before. I didn't have cuts. I allowed everybody to make the team. I think that had its disadvantages. I would never do that again. It wasn't fair to the kids who rarely played. It wasn't to the kids who were really good, who were getting diminished playing time. You know, you join a middle, middle school team. If you want to have a team that is for fun, that's for rec. It's not being taken. I can do a whole episode on the difference between a competitive team and a rec level team and why it is a necessity to formulate teams and make cuts. There, I do have an episode earlier on if you want to hear my thoughts about the cutting process of kids in sports. There is an episode that I did a few weeks ago called The Cut, but I would never do it again. I was told by a colleague of mine there was going to be a boy in the sixth grade that year. He was the older brother of one of his her son's good friends. And she just said, he love, he's a great kid. He loves soccer. And so do a couple of his friends. They, they're, and they're really good. But they were sixth graders. And they were. They were really good. But And we got beat up. The, I mean, and sometimes literally, because some of the eighth grade boys were just... Uh, of the other teams would just knock these guys down playing overly physical. In fact, one team I was really annoyed with because you could tell that we had some skill, but we were young and small and they just did not stop with the physicality. There's a point like, granted, you should try to win the game. You shouldn't take it easy just because we have young players. But when you're up five, nothing and you're, more than midway through the second half, I think you call off the dogs. You knew we're not getting five goals. It's just not happening with this team. You can snuff out any attack because our boys are just one step too slow. But I really grew to enjoy this certain this group of talented sixth graders that I had. We lost in the first round of the county tournament like 7 nothing. So then the next year comes. Now these 6th graders, 7th graders, they're the bulk of the team, just like they were last year. I only had three 8th graders again. And I had three or four 6th graders that made the team. We went, the year before, we won one game. One game. In 7th grade, we finished 500. We made. The, we went to the tournament again. Because everybody makes a tournament. So in this 
in this, you just have to apply to play in the county tournament. So we applied to play in it. We got a five seed. That's good. Better than the eight seed we had the year before. Now we're a five seed. We had travel on the road for our first round playoff game. And we upset the four. We won, I think it was like three to one. And the boys were a stack. And I remember just telling them, bring these, the sixth, the seventh graders and eighth graders who were trounced the year before, bringing them together and said, can you believe after last year that we not only are 500, but we're going to the semifinals. Well, in the semifinals, we played the same team that played up. We played the last year in the first round, the year before in the first round. And again, we got beat up pretty bad. They they beat us. And, and not beat up physically. I mean, they were a, they were not an overly aggressive team. They just had this center midfielder that was just out of his mind good. I think he might have had a hat trick against against us. I think it was final score there was like five to one or five to two. And, and we talked about that. Hey, you know, same team basically as last year. Lost a couple of eighth graders, but they brought in some good sixth graders. Hey. You gave them a game this year. You scored a couple of goals on them. We said goodbye to eighth graders. The school year continued on. Summer came. And then it was time for the first soccer tryout. And there were those sixth grade boys, the core of my team for two years, now eighth graders. A little bigger, a little faster. In the tryout process, I added a couple more seventh graders to the team other than the two sixth graders who had made it the year before, and one sixth grader who I see a lot of talent in. Just a little guy, but I'm sure as he moves up, just like this current group of eighth graders that I was coaching, I could see him being one of them. He's just two years younger. Now, one of the things you need in soccer is a goalie to stop the goals. And when I asked, in the, as we were meeting out on the field, talking to the boys, I said, okay, who here is thinking about going out for goalie? And this one young man raised his hand. And when the other guys saw that he raised his hand, other kids, and kids that I know are field players and really good, started raising, well, if you need a goalie, I'll play goalie, Mr. Cullen. It was this young seventh grader. What I found out was that this kid didn't play travel soccer. He played rec, and I don't think he had played rec the year before. It was like in fifth grade he played rec goalie. And I, I kind of understood why the boys started raising their hands up. They were concerned that, you know, this is really serious soccer. This is a step above wreck. And can this guy be our goalie? Well, I need to say, from the first day of tryouts, when he, we put him in the goal and to take some shots, my assistant coach and I turned to, to each other and said, he'll do. And the reason why he would do wasn't because we had nothing else. I would have put a field player in. I would have cut him if I felt that he wouldn't be a benefit and I would have to like sacrifice one of my better field players to be in the goal. I would have done that. And it wasn't just because he was big, because he wasn't. But he was giving it all he had. For the, the first shot that went wide, he dove. He just missed it, but he dove. And it was just an issue of him being, if he was only two inches or three inches taller, he blocks the ball. Then again, another ball off to his left. He dives again. He comes out. He was doing, he was doing, he gave it everything he had. He wasn't afraid of the ball. He wasn't afraid of going out in a crowd and getting to the ball. And my coach and I said, he'll do. You know, he may not know the game, but he'll learn it. He's going to learn it fast with these boys because they know the game. And just, we realized with the constant practice, having to fend against this team of really good players, he was going to have a huge learning curve when it came to soccer in a positive way. He was going to go from a rec level goalie to a travel goalie in short order. So this seventh grade goalie is going to be a big part of the story. But sadly, I also lost one of those core of sixth graders, now eighth graders, during the preseason. And it wasn't because of injury or grades or behavior. He's a great kid. 
He really is. I was looking forward to him being my starting center mid as he was in 6th and 7th grade. He plays on an elite travel team. And this travel team would not allow him to play for both my squad and their squad. Even though we had worked out an agreement where he would not miss any of this elite travel team's games or practices. He, we would always defer to them. It didn't matter. They did not, even though it would not be a conflict for them, they told him he could not play for two teams. And for me, this is everything I hate about the business of youth sports. And that's what it is. It's a business. These people make their living running these elite programs, be it soccer, basketball, baseball, you name it. They probably have an elite team for it where you're shelling out thousands of dollars just to get your child on the team. And then the thousands of dollars in travel costs, driving, hotels, airplanes, etc. And there was no hard feelings between the kid and myself, the pa his parents. I, I get it. They already paid up front all this money. It's prestigious. And all you know, if he gets kicked off, they're out of that money. I mean, personally, if it was an endowment to this team that allowed them to offer these spots to kids who are deserving through tryout to make the team and the only expense for the parents were the traveling expenses the the cost of the paying the coaches paying for the fields paying for the tournaments was all covered by some wealthy benefactor i would get it then yeah they do have the right to say hey if you want this you can't play on another team but ours. We're making an investment in you. But when it's the parents footing the whole bill, I believe they have to say it's their kid. It's The kid does not belong to the organization you're paying money to so they can have, they can make a living. Again, I've been saying this for, I think there's several episodes where I say I need to do an episode on the the money that is involved with youth sports, with the, you know, the professional youth sports teams. That's the best way to say it. Even the kids aren't getting paid, but definitely the guys running it are professionals. But let me just say this. I'm going to go back to the story, how it affected us. It affected us because he was a good kid. He really was. And I was looking forward to having that one more season with him. And I think he was realizing that this team is going to be something special. He had played with several of the other boys for years since they were like, you know, probably five, six years old. They showed me a picture of like the three, him and these two other guys um, when they were really little. And it was kind of funny looking at them when they were like in second or third grade, all their arms around each other on the soccer pitch. And now he wasn't going to be a part of it. And to his credit, I really appreciated the fact that he came out and watched. Whenever he could, he would come out and watch. He even ran lines for us because he wanted to, he knew this team could be something really special. And they were. And they were going to prove it in the championship game. And I'll be getting to that in a moment. Just want to take this time to remind you if you want to get involved in the conversation, if you want me doing that episode on the professional youth sports programs, or in any topic whatsoever, you have somebody you would like me to reach out to that you would think would be a great interview for this podcast, please feel free to reach out to me at ptcpodcast411 at gmail.com. That's P is in parent, T is in teacher, C is in conference, podcast 411, ptcpodcast411 at gmail.com. And again, I'm going to ask your help in spreading out the word about this pod podcast by sharing the link with a friend. Remember, just go to the little box with the arrow up top, click on it, copy the link, text it out to friends. If you found this on Twitter or Facebook, share it out that way. You can share out the link as well. I really appreciate it. But again, more so, I would like you to get involved in the conversation at ptcpodcast411 at gmail.com. Now, on to that championship game. bit of heartbreak to start the year. Not only did we lose a key player, but a great kid, a great teammate. And that was going to be a big loss. Could we rally around the 
others? Could everybody play one step better than themselves to take the place of this young man? So typically, I am very defensive-minded. My feeling is this about youth soccer, even with kids who play on some elite teams. They all want to score goals. So I realized early on a couple things. One, you can't have your slowest guys on defense. They need to be some of your quickest. My, I've always designed my team from defense out. Second, put a lot of guys in the midfield and tell them they have to play both ways. That way, you're going to get a few of them to drop back where you actually need them when there are, there's a counterattack or if they're pressing on your goal. And third, put maybe you know, one or two guys on top as forwards. You don't need that many because, again, the midfielders are going to fill in those gaps anyhow because they're all in that mode of, I want to score, I want to score. So that's always how I played it. And I, oh, I typically play... A formation called a 4-5-1, which is four defenders, five guys in the midfield, typically two as more defensive-minded midfielders and three offensive-minded and one forward. This year, my defense was so good. I had a center mid who has been center mid since sixth grade. He was one of that sixth grade core. I had a left defender who I have never seen anyone increase their speed so dramatically in a year. He was, speed-wise, as a 7th grader, he was middle of the pack. As an 8th grader, he was one of, he was probably the top one or two speedsters on the team. I was stunned when I took his time during the tryouts. So he was my left defender, and my right defense was a 7th grader. And that's it. I I don't know when the last time, I think my first year of coaching back in 92 was the only other time I only played with three defenders on a regular basis. I didn't need to. They need to put a fourth person back there. They were that good. And the midfielders did their job. The midfielders would fill in as if one of the, either they had to cover the wide, the ball going wide to the sidelines, or if they saw one of of my defenders on the wings going out to the ball, they had to slide into position behind them. And they did it perfectly. Now, my midfield, I, I took the kid who was going to play right, who was going to start as my right midfielder offensively, I moved him into the middle. And he did a great job on the transition. Great kid. He was actually the kid who my colleagues specifically talked about. And he truly lived up to his billing. Really, I'm going to be sad to see all of these kids gone because of the, they, they all lived up to their billing in terms of being talented, but being great kids. It was a joy every practice and every game just to watch them enjoy. And that's a big part of where we're getting to this championship game. So he was in the midfield. I had a, my left midfielder for the past three years. His skills have just went through the roof, and he was unbelievably fast. He was The teams would basically just put one, sometimes even two guys on him, and even then, that couldn't stop him. I have some 7th graders who filled in some of the midfielding positions. I had an 8th grader on top, but this year I was playing, sometimes I would play with two forwards. There were times in the championship game, in the second half, we played a 3-4-3. Three, three. I actually had three guys on top. Again, rare. That was rare for me. Uh, But because the defense was so good, the midfielders did their job getting back, I felt comfortable having more people up on the attack because everybody else was going to do what they were supposed to do. And that was another big thing. They trusted me. They trusted my calls. I mean, enough of them had worked with me for three years that we had built this bond, and I appreciated it. They, they knew that soccer wasn't my main... I would admit it. Soccer's not my main sport. I, mean, I coached it for a lot of years. More of a baseball guy. A lot of times I would use baseball analogies because that's where I was more comfortable. When I would see something on the field in soccer, I'd often say a baseball analogy to get them to grasp what I was talking about. I, I hope they did because I don't think many of them played baseball. But it worked. It worked. We went 6-3-1 and one in the regular season. We had a couple more games rain out. Some teams had to drop the games. We, we actually had like... 13 or 14 game schedule, but we lost a couple of them. And it's really, the season's very tight. We It's hard to reschedule. But at 6-3-1, we were definitely going to finish 
out even with a loss in the first round of the tournament, which I hope didn't happen, we were going to finish with an above 500 record. And I said, there's an accomplishment. You know, you've seen the growth, you got your guys grow through each year. We know the worst we can do is 6-4-1 and one now. And it was good enough to make us the number two seed in the county tournament. Now, like I talked about earlier, this camaraderie issue. One of the, the, I've always said this about the teams that win the championship in soccer for me. They enjoy spending time with each other. Now, these eighth graders have been spending a lot of time being on travel teams together, being on our team together. They, they already had friendship among themselves. And what sadly happens sometimes is they form a clique and they don't allow anybody else into the clique. But that is not what happened. Granted, when they were warming up, the eighth graders would practice, would kind of warm up and pass the ball around on their own. The underclassmen would also do the same. But when the game started, they didn't care who scored. If it was a seventh grader that scored, they would mob him just as much as they would an eighth grader. They they could laugh at each other and bust on each other and just appreciated each other's company. These eighth graders were teaching the underclassmen how they should treat underclassmen. And the reason they were like this, because remember, they were the core of my team in sixth grade. The upperclassmen had to come to them and be buddies with them in order to make this, this this team succeed. And they saw this. For them, they they never experienced that, hey, we're the eighth graders, leave us alone. Because there's hardly any eighth graders when they were in sixth or seventh grade. They were the team. So they never got this idea that we need to be apart by our grades. And I hate that. Like one of the things I tell the kids at the beginning of the year after we make the team, there aren't on this team, there aren't 6th, 7th, and 8th graders. There are soccer players. What that means is you are a team. It doesn't go by how old you are. Starting Being the starting lineup doesn't go by how old you are. It's what 11 are going to give us the best opportunity at that time. If it's all 6th graders, it's all 6th graders. If it's all 8th graders, it's all 8th graders. If it's a myth, it's a... Yeah, if it's a mix, it's a mix. We're a team. And these guys truly embraced it. Now let's go back to the seventh grade goalie for a second. Remember the one that when he was the first guy, only guy who shot up his hand to play goalie, other guys were like, eh, I'll try goalie then. If he's only going to be the only one, I'll try goalie. After the first game and a couple of saves that he made, you could see the respect. They were cheering him on. No longer was anybody volunteering to play goalie anymore. He had won their respect. And I couldn't be prouder of a young man. Was he technically right on all the things he was doing as a goalie? No. But he was getting the job done. And every player on that field knew that he would get he would figure out a way to get the job done, to stop the ball from going in the net. Was he perfect? No. Sometimes he made some mistakes. They all make mistakes. And they never got on him because of any mistakes. Because they knew of the many other times he gave it his all. There were sometimes shots there was no goalie going to stop it. He would guess right and just be a little too short. And those kids would run over and say, Hey, great job. Don't worry about that one. No, you know, don't worry about that one. That was a tough one. Don't worry about that. They truly encouraged him and brought him up. It was far different than that first tryout by the end of the year. They had total confidence in him, even though he wasn't a travel team goalie. And that, I think, watching as a coach, that all develop as they every game game he earned more and more of their respect where they didn't even remember what happened the first tryout but i did and watching the transformation of this young man was truly remarkable and i did tell his mom early during the season he should really consider trying trying to move up a level in soccer because i think if somebody teaches him the skills to play goalie he'll be a really good one he could play high school um, he's a little behind right now because he's going to start later as some of the other guys, but he has the knowledge, he has the desire, the passion, and he just doesn't give up. Those are three things you can't teach. That's all internal, and he has it. And to the boys, especially those 
the, the elite boys of those eighth graders who are scoring the goals, the fact that they, how they reached out to him and all the other young underclassmen to encourage them was a delight to see. It wasn't their skills that, and winning a championship that made me impressed with them. It's not the skills or winning a championship that they will always, I will always be proud of them the rest of my life. Life, it's because they were truly were great kids, great teammates. You know, when I give the consolation speech when we lose that last game, right, the tournament, it always says, "If I could give you a tor- if I could give you a trophy, if I could have bought it for you, I will." If that's not how it works, you guys earn a trophy. Because how great these kids truly lived that. They, you know, they truly did. They earned the trophy just for being great teammates. They showed, hopefully, my underclassmen next year can take the example of my three captains who did whatever it took to win that game. And they're the example of we are going to give it our all. We're going to give it these three guys, as well as the other eighth graders, on the field every game. There is no doubt that they were giving every ounce of energy they had every minute on the pitch. Let's get to the tournament. First round of the tournament was an easy 7-0 victory. Next round was a little tighter. Um, It was 1-0 at half, and the only reason why we had a goal is because it was an own goal by the other team. We... Thankfully, scored one for the good, the sake of the kid who allowed the kick the own, own goal in. Thankfully, scored a second goal in the second half and won two to nothing. So now we are in the championship and we have to travel to the field of the number one seed. I faced these guys before. In fact, my first soccer championship back in 08 was a one nothing victory against them on a penalty kick in the last minute. My forward was trying to go around the defender. The defender put his hands out. My forward flopped. Like my AD at that time said to me, he was actually on the opponent's side listening to their parents. And he said, their parents even said, he goes, yeah, he kid might have flopped, but our defender's hands definitely did move out towards him to push him like away from the goal. So it was a hard push, but it definitely stopped him from doing what he wanted to do with the ball. And we, we converted the PK. We won one nothing. A couple of years later, we faced them again. I think in 18, 17, 17 or 18, we faced them. And we lost 3-1. to one. one of the main reasons there is my starting goalie had a concussion the day before in the semifinal game. He was ineligible to play that game. And that would have that would have definitely changed the, the um, dynamics of the game if he was in. Lost a couple semifinals up there. But we did win a dramatic... First round game. We were, I think we were the seven seed that year. They're not coming with a strong team. They were the two. And we gave them a fight. Even before the game, the coach, and same coach all these years. He 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 said to me, Oh, when I saw we drew Chester, I was like, even though they it says they're a seven seed, they're typically good. He goes, I remember playing you guys. You are a good team. He goes, Don't I tell I'm telling my guys, don't take them lightly. And we gave them a fight. It was one nothing with about 10 minutes to go, anybody's game, and they got another goal in. And I remember my captain that year hitting the hitting the ground. And I was I got so mad. It's like there's still 10 minutes left. I'm like, get up! There's still time left. It's not over. And all of a sudden, the guys who were like down there, kind of, their heads were down, the captain who was on the ground upset. They got up. It was. I wish I had video of it. They got up. It was like one of the few times I truly inspired a group. And they looked at each other. And they marched to the line to do the kickoff. Almost with a resolution. He's right. We're going to get this done. And lo and behold, we tie it up 2-2. Two to two, And then with about a minute left, we kick the game winner in. And we hold on for the last 30 seconds, and we upset them. There's a reason why I tell you that story as I get now to the championship game. We, you know, my one fear, there were a couple of games that during this regular season where the first half we started flat. And one of those games 
was a game against a school that was much larger than us. And we went down 3 nothing in the first half. And I basically read the riot act. I said, you guys played flat. This is you know what happens. And they came back in the second half with a fury, and we tied the game 3-3. Three to three. That was our only tie that year. So now it's a championship game, and they didn't come out flat. They came out strong, but almost too strong. And it, this is something about when you're coaching kids, they try to do too much. We had some of my players were taking shots too far out. I often complain that when they're in front of the goal, they take one touch too much, and the defense collapses around them, and they lose a good shot because they want to get a little bit closer to the goal. This time, however, they were taking shots from so deep rather than trying to move the ball a little closer in and spread the defense out and get a better shot on goal. So I think they were pressing, pressing for that first goal. And we were, for the most part in the first half, we were dominating. And then a fluke goal happened. Ball was shot on our goalie. He jumps up, makes a great save. But as it he slaps it down, slaps it down and away. But as he puts too much backspin on the ball, and as the ball comes up, it pops off his chest, and as he turns to try to stop it from crossing the line, he just couldn't. one nothing, our opponents. And that's how halftime happened. And again, these kids did not get down the goalie. They told him to shake it off. It was a great attempt at his save, as he had been doing all year. Again, these 8th graders knew what it is to be a team. And they didn't care that it was a 7th grader, 6th grader, or 8th grader. They're going to encourage this kid because they knew there's a lot of games left. and game There's a lot of game left. And if they just pounced on him for letting up that goal, it would be worse. But it did get worse. Second half, I decide, okay, we're going to go. We're going to move out from this more defensive formation. We're going to go on the attack, go 3-4-3. And we're just, you know, you got 30 more minutes, only one nothing. Well, with about 15 minutes left in the game, it became 3 nothing. They scored one early in the second half, and they scored another one 15 minutes left. So I'm standing there looking at these guys, and I, ha I need to be honest, and I'm not just saying this. Talent-wise, we were the better team. But I have to give our opponents credit. Uh, they were... Shutting down our lanes, we couldn't develop anything. Our kids were getting a little frustrated. They were pretty physical, and our kids were retaliating. They, two of them picked up yellow cards. And if there was one thing with the offic officiating, was great other than that. I, I felt that there were times I can actually cite one situation where one of their kids deserved a yellow. He ran at my goalie. The goalie got the ball, and he, he had a head of steam at him. He was trying to play. If he I dropped it, he was going to try to chip it in. But my guy had it. And instead of trying to avoid or trying to brace himself or even try to kind of, you know, do something, he didn't run into him. Not only did he run into him, but he put his hands out as if he was pushing him. And he was like, oh, I didn't, you know, I was trying to avoid him. Like, you know what? he yelled back, you weren't trying. He goes, that's blatant. No call. And I know the refs wanted to make him play, but gave two yellow cards to my guys. That guy deserved a yellow for that. That was that was inappropriate, uncalled for. In my mind, though, with 15 minutes left, I'm thinking to myself, what am I going to say to these boys? You know, remember earlier I told you about this seventh grade team that I had, seventh grade players I had, and then COVID hit. I never had the opportunity to coach these great group of kids in their eighth grade season. You know, my assistant coach and I had talked about this, that this team's going to make a run. We never got to see it. Now, this team that I've watched grow, that I've spent time with as sixth, seventh, now eighth graders, that truly bonded as a team, that that is everything I've ever wanted as a coach. They truly, my idea as a coach is this. And I did this for baseball, too, where I know a lot of skills. I don't emphasize skills in practice. I want them to scrimmage. I want them to be in game situations. You want to know why? Especially in soccer. Because soccer, you have to work at it as a team to even get your best player who you can depend upon to score. If you have one guy who's a scorer, you have to work as a team to get that guy the ball in a good position so he can you know, put a shot on goal. 
but you have to learn to work together. So a lot of our practices are scrimmages against each other. So they can feel comfortable knowing what the other guy can do. They can learn. They don't realize they're learning that, but when you pass the ball, you see how they maneuver, you know where guys, you start by you start instinctively knowing where to pass the ball to your teammate. You instinctively know that if this guy goes that far out, you have to de- 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 defend where you need to be because you know how well he defends. You know how well you can be split apart. You know how well they can recover. So a lot of it is really working on the team aspect of them gelling as a team and more than any other sport that I've coached, soccer is one you have to have that. If you don't have that, if you just have a bunch of players with skills, you're not going to win. But this year we did. We had a bunch of players with mad skills, and we had a team. A true team. And now I had 15 minutes to come up with words to say why it didn't work. Why we had not got blown out in any game. I thought to myself before this championship game, if we lose, it's going to be close. There are some really good teams, like the team in the town I live in. They beat us 4-2, to but it was a good game. Like Even the coach at the end of the state goes, that was, you gave us one of the biggest scares the whole day. We were up at halftime, one nothing, And into the second half, we were up 2-1. to one. We just, And the fourth goal that went in was because we were pressing up and they, were, they countered and scored on it, you know, so... Even though it was a two-goal victory, it was more like a one-goal victory. No team, and just so you know, that team went on to win the Group 4 championship. So it's a larger school. They won the championship, and we gave them a game. And I'm looking at this team we're playing, and I said, I saw who they played. I'm like, hey, they struggled against a team we dominated. If we lose this, it's going to be a one-goal game. We're not getting blown out. We haven't got blown out all year, and we're getting blown out. How am I going to tell these kids... That everything that they were this year, everything I thought was good as a team, they had skills and camaraderie, and it didn't work. In fact, not only didn't it work, they basically got embarrassed. So, you know, how do you express this? The boys are going to be so hurt in their eyes. I know some of them are going to feel that they let me down. They could never have let me down. I wouldn't have felt that way. I would have hurt for them because they truly deserve the championship. So as this thought process is going through my head, and I've been there before, I've been with teams that I have to give a condolence speech to in a championship game. You know, one thing I always say to them is look at your parents. You know, these are this is what really matters. Your parents are what really matter. I always think about saying that. All of a sudden, we get a um, free kick. There was a penalty. And my center mid lines up. And he, I'm looking, it's a good angle. I mean, he can put it, on the goal. And sure enough, there's our first goal, three to one. Just around just under 15 minutes to play. Not over yet. I'm talking to my assistant coach. When do I do do I wait to see if there's another goal? There's a thing called sweeper keeper where you put an 11th field player on, you pull the goalie, you tell the goalie to push everybody up. The goalie stands at midfield and he just has to hustle back if there's a run on goal. And so you put 10 guys on their side of the field. She goes, no, no, just wait. I, I, you know, she, was, she kept me calm. Usually she's like the, the loud one. I'm the calm guy, and she's the one who's loud and screaming at the boys to encourage them. And she just looks at me. She goes, no, she, this time she's calm. She goes, no, I have a feeling. They're going to get another goal, Kev. They're going to win this game. And I was like, I just thinking, I, I don't know. I go, I'm thinking the other coach at this point, three to one, you should be packing it in. But he wasn't. He kept on the attack. Maybe he felt very confident that there was no need to. We hadn't shown much for 45 minutes. We start go on the attack again. Another foul. Same center mid comes up to the line. Another good angle. Boom. Three to two. Now I'm like, oh my gosh, we're we're you know this you know definitely now a game. You know this this could be done. This is uh, less than 10 minutes to go. I think eight minutes left. It's three to two. So now the clock is going down to five minutes. Do I pull the goalie? My coaches go, no, they're, give them more time. Give them time. I think they're going to do this, Kev. They're going to get this next goal. They're going to tie it up. With about three minutes left, the one, my left mid, who I always said that often they send one, even two guys at him. And sometimes he beats them and scores a goal. 
He's driving down the middle of the field towards the net. Two defenders collapse on him. And this time, instead of trying to beat them, he kicks it off to his left, to a 7th grader. Again, camaraderie. He, he trusted that 7th grader. He had played a whole season, actually two seasons, with this young man, who's a good player in his own right, who comes across the field, puts it in the goal. Now we're tied, 3-3. Three to three. 15 minutes earlier, I was thinking about what I needed to say to these boys to kind of soothe all the, over their hurt feelings. And now I'm thinking, what do I have to do in overtime? Because as the game ended, here were the rules. We were going to play two five-minute overtime periods. Golden goal, meaning like sudden death overtime. If a goal is scored, the game ends. If it goes past the two five-minute overtimes, then it goes to penalty kicks. Where I got to be honest, it tends to be just luck. You know, your guy tries to hit it wide and he hits the bar instead of getting it in in that one-inch difference. And that could be the siding of your season. I really, I got to be honest here, of all the major sports ways of ending a tie, soccer penalty kicks are the worst. They may be exciting to watch, but as a player, you're taking a team sport, a sport that you truly need to be a team to get the ball in the net and defend yours. And boil it down to a series of one-on-one games. I did not want this game decided in PKs. I would rather, I thought to myself quickly, I'm like, I would rather this game be decided here and now in the next 10 minutes. Even if we lose, than have to deal with a PK situation. Now, they did the coin flip and something amazing happened. We did a coin flip before the game started, and there was one side of the field that had that you could tell the sun was going to go, as it was going down, it would be in the goalie's eyes. And as the boys were lining up after the coin flip, we realized, oh no, we're defending the side without the sun in the first half. We got the sun in the second half. In fact, during the second half, that could have been a factor in them scoring those two extra goals because I I, often as I watched down the field, I saw my goalie trying to shield the sun from his eyes. So we didn't get the side of the field we wanted, and we didn't get the ball. In overtime, the kids come running back in, and they said, we got the ball. And then, and we're defending this side, the side away from the sun. They were looking into the sun in the first overtime. And now the sun had dropped more dramatically since the beginning of the game, and the angle was a lot worse on their goalie. And it dawned on me that their coach didn't do his prep because it's a golden goal game. You want, you don't, you're not playing for this. I, I gotta be honest, you're not playing for that second five minute period. You're playing for the first five minute period. You wanna put the game away there. I mean, because once it's over, it's over. It's it's a very different strategy than in the reg, regular part of the game where you have an opportunity to come back. So I'm like, I, I, you know, I saw that as a gift. And what that we did as the game started, I told my defenders, push up. I wanted them beyond the 50. I wanted maximum pressure on that goal in that five-minute period. That was our opportunity. The sun was in their eyes. We're, we don't want to go to a PK. We want everybody up on the attack. Within about 30 seconds of the of this overtime starting, a cross came over. My tall forward jumped up, and it just grazed off the top of his head, just a little too high. It would have ended the game. He would have put it right past. There was no way the goalie would have stopped it. But the ball stayed down there. We were on the attack. They never crossed midfield in the overtime. And one of another one of my seventh graders, remember a seventh grader 
scored the equalizer a few minutes earlier. Another one of my seventh graders found an opportunity with a pass coming to him to put it away, and he didn't disappoint. Ball hits the back of the net. That kid had a big smile as he's running, racing across the field, and all of a sudden, all his teammates are trying to tackle him in celebration. In fact, typically, now again, I've won several championships. I'm not saying to brag, just to say this. Typically, what I decide to do as a coach, if we win a championship, is just watch the boys celebrate. But the the change of emotion from thinking, how am I going to console these boys, to, oh my gosh, we just came back from 3-0 down with 15 minutes left in a soccer game to win the championship. I couldn't contain myself. I started running after the kid. And just seeing his face, his eyes light up, just like this amazement that he just won the championship for us. And my, my assistant coach comes, comes, you know, she's running towards him. We're screaming. And she grabs me, gives me a big hug, and then we go to the boy pile. And we're just like, you know, we're all just celebrating. I've never reacted like that as a coach before. But again, I think it was the release of all that pent-up energy and an adrenaline of how these boys never quit. I mean, other teams may have completely better skilled players than us, but no team had the stamina as our, of our team. That's one thing I realized. I even felt that way into the second half. I Their, their best player on the other team, um, I was just sitting there going, he's not going to be able to compete with our guys for 60 minutes. And sure enough, about... 45 minutes in, that last 15 minutes, you could see that our guys were still playing with the same intensity and speed and endurance they had from the first half. Theirs weren't. And I noticed that big time in this semifinal game. The semifinal game, remember that one nothing game I talked about? That late in the second half, that other team's top players couldn't stay couldn't stay with our guys anymore. Um, the reason it was only 2-0 is we just couldn't convert. They weren't really threatening us the second late in the second half. Same thing in the championship game. We really didn't have a threat the last 15 minutes because their guys were spent and our guys were, were still going. And thankfully, they didn't let down. They had this extra energy, but they didn't quit on themselves. I think a lot of teams in that situation at 3-0, 15 minutes left, would have been packing it up just running out the string, saying this game is over, the season's over. These boys didn't. And I, and I think they teach us a lot about perseverance. Hey, there's still time left on the clock. Don't give up. As long as we have seconds left, keep playing till the end. In soccer, things can change pretty dramatically even in a minute, a minute and a half. I've seen two goals scored within a minute it can happen and they know these boys knew not only these boys know that could happen they knew they they were confident that they were the ones that could make it happen and they did make it happen and to their credit after we were done celebrating in the huddle and just like yelling and screaming and the boys were like hugging and embracing each other we broke up to kind of walk away, kind of get, you know, kind of gather ourselves. And as we turned to the field, we saw our opponents. They were all, I mean, we were probably celebrating for about a minute. They were all still on the field. They had, they had all hit the ground, all like in utter amazement. They had lost the game. And I'll give my boys a lot of credit. One of my captains, the guy who scored the two free kicks, he walked onto the field, went right up to their best player held out his hand, picked him up, shook it, and said, that was a great game. I know those boys were hurting, you know, and it always is like that. Those boys, even the other coach, as you're going to the line, you could tell he was, you know, he was upset. Um, I mean, think about how things changed dramatically for me, how things changed dramatically for him. He, 15 minutes earlier, like actually I should say, like 20 minutes earlier, he's thinking about what is going to be our, my victory speech. And now he's the one having to say, hey, things like this happen. You know, um, it's, you know, that's, that's sports teach great lessons, right? They teach lessons like perseverance with my team coming back, but it also teaches lessons like 
you you got to play 60 minutes. It's a 60-minute game. It's not a 45-minute game. And that's, even though it's the worst way possible for a kid to learn it, that's what that team learned that day. Or even the fact that, hey, they had one thing we didn't have. They had endurance. We just couldn't keep pace with them for the full 60 minutes. They took advantage of it. But sports are tremendous teaching opportunities. It was, and I told the boys, I've you know coached baseball, soccer, some basketball. I would say, oh, volleyball too with my daughter's rec team. I would say I've been a coach for over 60 seasons of sport. And I have never had a game quite like that. That is the greatest comeback I have ever been a part of. Not just because of the comeback, but because where it happened in a championship-level game. Those boys refused to quit. More than their skill. That is what helped them win the game. That is the lesson I hope they will carry the rest of their lives. To the 2023 Group 3 Morris County Champions Black River Middle School Boys Soccer Team. I am extremely proud to have been your coach. Thank you for joining me on the Parent Teacher Conference podcast. If you enjoyed what you heard, please share this podcast with friends. They can be teachers, they can be parents, they can be someone who's just interested in education and parenting. If you have a comment, a question, or an idea for a future topic, please feel free to reach out to me at ptcpodcast411 at gmail.com. ptcpodcast411 at gmail.com. Remember, a good teacher cares deeply for their students, but good parents love those students, their children, deeply.